A word to the wise. We are an explicit podcast tackling content with adult themes, as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us. Today, we're discussing Daniel Green's Breach of Peace, a novella for our short pour this quarter? I guess I don't know how often we technically do these. It's like roughly every eight weeks, I think, six to eight weeks, something like that. Uh, it's a it's a good one. Definitely get it. It's available. Well, it's available within our links down below, as well as on Amazon or Audible or wherever you purchase your books online. Hey there, this is Cross. God Cop PJ, checking in. <laughs> and we are Words and Whiskey, a podcast for veteran and novice readers alike. We tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. You can think of us as your drunk weekly book club. This isn't a negotiation. What are you doing? I never broke the law. <laughs> I am the law. What is this? Choke on that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I clipped like a motherfucker right there, by the way. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sprinkling a little bit of Judge Dredd for us right there. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, that, just, was, uh, uh, that was heavy. Heavy on the clipping. It was, uh, that was some heavy Judge Dredd there. <laughs> so, today is a short pour from us. It's going to be one of our short pour episodes where we're going to discuss a novella or a short story. Today, we're covering Daniel Green's debut novella, Breach of Peace. All in one go, too. This is the most we've ever read in one shot for the podcast. Technically, it's like 140 pages. It's a small, like, kind of chapbook, though, so it feels like it's probably closer to 100-ish pages. But yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a fun time. I don't have references to page numbers, so you guys get to look forward to that. I get to vaguely talk about when things happen, because all I have is the audiobook. Um, yeah. This book just came out what a couple weeks ago if that technically the end of march so it's been maybe two weeks and a lot of pre-orders are just getting them within the last week or so week and a half which is exactly the case i was in i got it maybe nine days ago okay so definitely a little bit of a different situation here it was about a three hour listen i think yeah i want to say yeah i listened to it a couple times um once at regular speed and once at one and a half speed so uh, I think it was about two hours on one and a half speed, but I don't remember the first one. So three hours makes sense. But first, let's talk about what we're drinking. Oh, you know, I've got a, uh, <laughs> I've got what's called a vanilla daisy. So it is two inch or two inches. Wow. Two ounces of bourbon, one <laughs> ounce of lemon juice, one ounce of simple syrup, two drops of vanilla extract, um, all that shaken together and then poured into a rocks glass drizzled with grenadine and garnished with maraschino cherries um it's delicious it, it tastes like cherry vanilla and wow. i don't know i really like it i'm gonna make more of them so uh to follow that up i've got i i got some mail i got some mail that contains some beer you got beer government mail. government i didn't say that so I got some beer from a place called Burnham Brewing in Indiana. Uh, what's technically, technically Michigan City, Indiana. It's called His, Hipster Juice Bag, which is a triple dry hopped East Coast style New England IPA. And it is delicious. 
and the uh, the can art makes it look like a Capri Sun. So, you know, I'm happy with it. Nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. Sounds, sounds pretty good. I am having an interesting cocktail. It's it's good. It's tasty. I, I would actually definitely recommend it. I feel like I'm doing a lot of preamble here. I'm currently, for, for a little bit of background, we do, we typically record one time a week. This week, we're technically recording two times, right? Um, Three? Three? Oh shit! Yeah, within seven days we're recording three times, uh, uh, and within, I only have within, within four days, five days, four days. Yeah. So we've we're going to cover a lot in a very short amount of time on our side of things. So for me, I do slow carb as a as a diet at the moment. Um, in in turn, like kicking in exercise and routine and other things like that. And so I can only cheat in theory one day a week. So I've actually got I'm I don't have a beer as a backup. I have a wine as a backup that we'll talk in a second. But that also impacts my cocktail choice today. It won't in the other two episodes. That'll be fine. But today I'm drinking something that's a little bit different. There's no sugar in it, which is great. Well, there's very small residual sugar, I should say. So what it is, it is a twist on what they call like the paleo margarita, except for it's with vodka instead. So I don't know what the fuck you'd call this. Basically, it's very easy. It's two ounces of vodka, one juice lime and four ounces of lime bubbly. It's very straightforward. It tastes good it's effectively because it's seltzer and it's just lime flavored seltzer it's kind of a vodka water with lime yeah but it's essentially what you've done yeah 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 it tastes good though i mean i'm not i'm not upset yeah yeah nothing wrong with that but it's a it is a full lime so that's what's really giving kind of the backbone of the the flavor here Mm mm-hmm Okay, and then a first on the podcast. I know that we've we've had wine floats in things, but we've never actually had wine on the podcast. I'm having a 2017 Robert Mondavi Sonoma Valley Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, very good, very dry. I come from a family of. I'll be frank, winos. And yes, he does. We, we drink a lot of wine. Um, the Iron Man that I completed was, in fact, also in wine country, and that was intentional so that we could go hang out afterwards in Napa Valley. Um, and I got to take along on that. It was a fucking blast. PJ did go on that trip, um, which was which was great for him. He was drunk while I was racing. Good time for him. Really, really we- long day for me. We went to a whole bunch of wineries and a whole bunch of just places in general around the area. And I, I'm pretty positive. I got drunk and sober three different times that day while you were racing. <laughs> yeah. Ran for six or well, exercising for 16 hours in a day is um, mm-hmm. certainly, certainly. I was something. exhausted, man. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. Yeah. Anyway, the, the wine is super great. The uh, it's a like I said, Robert Mondavi 2017 caps off delicious. It's it's like a $25 bottle of wine, 30 or $30 bottle of wine, 25 on sale. Highly recommend solid, good tasting notes, cherry, oak, delicious. We haven't had grapes. to talk about wine on the podcast at all, but grapes. Yes, <laughs> it is. It is grape juice. We love a grape juice. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Tim Ferriss, for allowing me to have two glasses of wine a night. It allows for me to do the podcast. <laughs> Oh, oh, almighty Tim Ferriss. Almighty Tim Ferriss. Bow to the Tim <laughs> Ferriss. Uh, so with that, let's get into the novella. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so the first thing that I want to do here is actually, I don't know if you know that much about Mr. Daniel Green. I don't. So I actually want I to know read you about the author. We follow him on Twitter. That's we what do. I know about it. <laughs> we do. 
there's there's quite a, there's quite a number of nice things about Daniel Green. But I'm, I'm going to read is about the author out of the back of the book here so you get some background. Daniel Green is a fantasy YouTuber, entertainer, and with the publication of this book, author. He is known for his video reviews of various science fiction and fantasy works and love of the Wheel of Time. You may know him by his moniker, the Disheveled Goblin. You can find him posting videos to YouTube Monday through Friday. All you have to do is search his name. The Disheveled Goblin. He goes goes by by the Disheveled Goblin. That's so good. He's he's about (laughs) our age, and he is... So fucking funny. That's part of part of what he does is he he just like accumulates a lot of the like fantasy and science fiction news and kind of pulls it all together. Um, he recently read the the first three books in the Red Rising trilogy and is beginning to read Iron Gold. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So it, it it's all it all works out fairly well. Dude's dude's really cool. Three hundred thousand YouTube subscribers ish. Very close to that number. Yeah. Awesome. That's that's it. So we're going we're gonna to talk about a first-time author today, which is interesting. We have talked about a first-time author before, but not one that's self-published. I think that it's also important to maybe talk about the sort of... There's nothing disparaging, of course, about being self-published or anything like that. It, it, it gets a lot more of a negative connotation than it deserves for a number of reasons. But I think that, I think that my general feeling about this book is that it was good. And I, I'm, I'm actually interested in the next book. Let's see where it goes. Yeah, I'm 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 on the same page with you. I think I have a little bit of a different experience having only listened to it, which I really enjoyed sort of the cadence that I had gotten into with the Red Rising series of reading it and then listening to it as sort of a bolster to what I had like experienced. So it was a little bit frustrating not being able to like jump back and see like Oh, what what is this referencing? What did I miss? Where 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 am I like getting caught up here? And and I would have to go through and like re-listen to chunks at a time. Um, but that has nothing to do with him. That's just the fact that I when I found out we were doing this, I did not take the the initiative to order the book, <laughs> um, and eventually <laughs> had to resort to. Uh, getting the audiobook because i wouldn't get the book in time so it's my fault yeah i mean it couldn't <laughs> be two day shipped to you which is nuts because he's had such a backlog actually with the number of orders for the book mm-hmm. which is great great for you know a self-published author to see this kind of you know initial success and everything else and i'm 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 happy for him you know especially oh, yeah. being so bold and brave to just well bold and brave you know like as as a fellow He's actually a writer now. I can I can say he's a writer. As a wannabe writer, just putting your shit out there is crazy to me still. Yeah. I, I've been I've had a couple of articles published, but not like yeah, not a book. Well you're bad. That's all I have Thanks. to say. <laughs> no. Appreciate I've it. read I've read I've read drafts of your stories and they are really good. And I'm excited Why? to see when those get published. But thank you. That's they haven't we're been talk about. True. So we'll talk True. about somebody who has actually had something published. Oh, yes. Um, let's start with the summary. Do you mind uh, reading the summary that we hear from we have here from Goodreads slash Amazon slash wherever else? I would. Let me once again preface this with uh, I'm bad at reading things out loud. So. Oh, I thought you were going to say you were going to use your judge dread voice. Oh, <laughs> I could. <laughs> Citizen. Um, when an imperial family is found butchered officers of god are called to investigate 
Evidence points to a rebel group trying to stab fear into the very heart of the Empire. Inspector Kled begins a harrowing hunt for those responsible, but when a larger conspiracy comes to light, she struggles to trust even the officers around her. Pretty good summary. Yeah, that is definitely a good summary. Um, One that gives you nothing as far as like spoilers in the book goes, which I think is very important for a short book like this. You, you get the gist of what's going on, but you don't, it doesn't ruin anything. Like I've definitely been ruined by summaries before. So, oh, for sure. Good to have that. Definitely. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a good summary and it's hard to bur- blurb a book. I think to like condense that down to write something that's concise that way. So mm-hmm. dig it. So let's talk about, let's talk about the setting a little bit. Let's talk about some of the technology and kind of set the groundwork here. I, I think what's interesting and we've talked about this off air but this book is world building with a mystery tucked inside, yeah. mostly. It, that's that's definitely how it feels, at least. It feels more world building than anything, hidden behind sort of a cop procedural mystery. Not procedural. That's the wrong term for it. But like detective novel. Mm-hmm. I guess that's just detective novels, the right way to put it. The mystery novel. So, but it did a very good job of tucking in all of those nuggets of information about the world around them. And you got to sort of see a lot of the inner workings of the society itself from the point of view of somebody who's fairly high ranking in it, um, Mm. though not pivotal to the function of the government, I guess. It seemed like a a, a very good high up enough to have... In understanding of things, but not high enough where they feel too important to this kind of story. So I don't know the right way. Uh, that's I didn't. That's I didn't have this written out ahead of time, so I'm maybe stumbling a little bit more than I'd like to. But it it felt well decided to have somebody in this inspector position being the the lead of this sort of world building book. Yeah. It- I think to kind of to kind of like put a bow on top of what you're saying, especially when you start inside of something that's self-described as fantasy to to whatever degree, you kind of expect to be placed in the like feet of a chosen one or a main character who's going to make it for a long time. And I think a like secret strength of this novel is that it doesn't lean into that trope at all. It completely no. leans out of it and really builds the world in a completely unique way. I can't think of a I mean, given this is a novella, of course, but I can't think of another fantasy story that starts with such a different perspective. And I'm only expecting, of course, over the next two novellas for that perspective to change kind of each time a little bit and give us give us the other perspectives that he's kind of promised. It is interesting to start, though, on the high side of the perspective, looking down at everyone else in kind of uh, a whole, I mean, very literally, actually, a holier than thou sense Mm -hmm. of authority. And I think that's actually an interesting thing that Clid grapples with a little bit over the story. There's there's a couple of specific moments that we'll get into a little bit later, not grapples with even, but recognizes and we grapple with it, I think. We're like, oh, are we rooting maybe for not good guys? <laughs> like, they're are not, we the baddies? They're not really good guys. <laughs> yeah, right. It's kind of, It kind of is that. <laughs> and it's like, oh, well, if we're the baddies, there are some worsies out there. <laughs> it's the way that this story goes. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Just kind of backing up a little bit. You mentioned it self-described as a fantasy novel. And it didn't read that way to me at all. I get that there are fantasy elements and there are little descriptions here and there of the fantasy components of this world. But for the most part, this felt almost dystopian in the way that it was presented. Mm -hmm. 
almost like a dystopian mystery. It's what pre-industrial revolution or maybe in the in the midst in the midst of the industrial re- revolution, I'd probably say. Right. Or just post. But, I'd, I'd probably call it industrial. It's like right on that edge. Yeah. But that that said, that time frame doesn't seem to matter that much. There's a couple elements here and there specifically with the t- technology and the guns and stuff like uh, guns with guns that don't have to be packed and like fired shot by shot is like this cutting edge technology. But other than that, there's not a whole lot of leaning on the technology of the time. As far as the story storytelling goes, you could tell me that it's, I don't know, 1980s. And I'd believe it for the most part. That's interesting. I think you're pretty much on it. I don't think that there's any, there's anything else that separates it enough. I think really the gun is kind of the number one thing outside of them also not having technology that we know we have, right? Like we know that they're not calling each other. We know that they're not writing Mm -hmm. emails to each other. They have to meet up at places and kind of pre-plan. Exactly. And you have, you have to run 16 blocks to the, to the precinct to tell the chief what's going on yeah right like, right there there are things like that but any pre-modern era i think would be applicable here mm-hmm. for the most part it extracted from the text a little bit it's worth noting that daniel i think is number one outside of the wheel of time which is a fantasy series his number one author preferred story is sherlock holmes conan doyle so it makes sense that of course the first thing he writes is kind of a a fantasy fiction mystery novel so yeah. I think it kind of blends some of those elements together and hints at something larger, but you're right. It never, it doesn't quite hit full fantastical. And I think, I think it's first, first of all, intentional and second of all, well done in that respect, in that there's elements there that you're gaining knowledge on and you can kind of glean some information about what's going on in the world in a way that's subtle enough that it's not taking away from the story being told. Mm -hmm. Like it it felt like with a little bit of convergence towards the end and towards the climax, it felt mostly separate from the fantasy side of the world. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I think that really, like you said, I think really that last section is where, well, the last like two ish chapters is where you really start to get some of the, fantastic elements and of course when you go back reread it some of that becomes more apparent like any mystery does right but there's you know there's the intro with with the lord of the estate turning into some demonic abomination but you know what's crazy Hmm. i actually didn't i've read i've read this now three times somehow i didn't actually connect that it was lord pruitt that was the murderer i thought that there was actually another murderer that was secretly out there still but my my brain also was like i don't need the answer to the question of who the murderer is because i'm intrigued by whatever happened to lord pruitt yeah you putting that in my note putting that in the notes actually made me go oh fuck how did i miss that well because he's he's technically the murderer but he's not necessarily the guilty party if that makes sense Somebody right. turned him into that thing mm-hmm. and he wreaked havoc on his own family, but presumably not by his own free will. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's super interesting. I think maybe what we should do is we should start talking about the chapters as we go through them. Yeah. I want to I want to preface this kind of by by talking about my thought of this book on the whole. What's really interesting is that I think that the book, the beginning of the book is the worst part of the entire book. Um, and that's not actually to say that the dark descriptions and all of the sort of gore are poorly described. I think that's the strongest part of the first section. 
I, I see I, I've read and like listened to a little bit of criticism that kind of lays into some of the some of the description being negative. It's very Clyde Barker. It's very Stephen King, but it is it's visceral. It's well described. It's horrifying, but I almost don't have a sense of character yet. And so just being thrust yeah. into a, a horrifying situation, I'm trying to learn the characters as at the same time as I'm absorbing this horrible information. And it, think- it didn't quite work. The second chapter worked a lot better. I think part of the problem is you're approaching a horrific scene through the eyes of a cold, calculated, calloused woman who's been working as an investigator for her entire career. Yeah. So you're you're not, she's not reacting emotionally. Nobody really is because that's the nature of their job. Compare this to Seven. Right. The first scene, I I didn't I didn't think about this until right now when we're talking about it. But if we think about seven, the first couple of scenes in seven, Brad Pitt has been running the murder beat quote in other places. But it's not like the city that he's in with Morgan Freeman. Right. right? And this case in particular is so brutal that he's turning away from the scenes. And so the audience is relating to him reacting negatively, even though Morgan Freeman, the veteran, is standing there kind of semi stoically and being able to look onward with experience. I, I think that that is a simple enough comparison where it's like this was kind of missing that it, it you got a little bit of it with some of the some of the like um was it the sergeant that like was vomiting in the corner shits <laughs> yeah. God, that, that was one of the funniest jokes it, it, truly daniel was funny when he was funny like when he yeah. when he made a joke yeah, 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 i yeah. thought it was good oh it, the, Fucking when chapman calls him shits i just lost it i really enjoyed the um the point of view of chapman which yeah wasn't for sure there wasn't enough of it i feel like i feel like i uh, wish agreed i wish there was more especially because of the nature of how the story unfolds later mm-hmm. but that i felt like was some of the strongest um, like character driven emotional writing i guess totally um yeah not not necessarily emotional but like Internal monologue writing. The feelings of Chapman feel so much stronger than the feelings of Clit. I would I would definitely agree with that. I was more connected with and, and we're both we're both men, right? So naturally yeah, that, I mean, a male that's perspective, true. sure. Good point. But also <laughs> I felt like that perspective felt a little bit more grounded and the character felt a little bit more direct and real. Not that Clid didn't. Clid was actually an interesting, capable woman inside of a, a good relationship with some great dynamics between her and Samuel, but it definitely had it just felt like there was there was like a knob that needed to be turned up. And I can't, I couldn't pick out what knob it is um, if I wanted to. Interaction with normal people. Clid had very little interaction and very little dialogue with anybody that wasn't either the chief or another inspector. Which is also why I ended up liking her a lot more at the end. Yeah, yeah, but it, because the because conversations the with, with the, chief. the quote unquote normal officers were so much richer, I felt like. Yeah. And so much more natural. Because it was channeling a normal person that they're talking to, as opposed to these sort of elite investigative detectives that all kind of have this stoic air about them. That's a good point. That's a really good point. And I think that's also why Chapman was so relatable, right? Is because you kind of got some of his internal panic Mm -hmm. when he like forgot shits his name (laughs) among among other different moments, right? When uh, what what was his... um, his actual lieutenant that hung around with him the whole time and was was a the sergeant character. Yeah, yeah, started with an R. So he he has these real connections, even though that like he admits that he doesn't 
connect with them and they tell him that they don't connect with him on a personal level but he has rollins rollins yes yep they connect with him in in a negative way for the most part but it's a real way like you really get that he is this arrogant aloof guy who's maybe a little bit too on his high horse but at the same time when they're describing that perception of him you see how he's just kind of forgetful about matters that aren't directly important to what he's trying to solve. Like he's just focused on things and it's not that he's trying to be maliciously like unattentive to the officers. He's just, he's got more important things on his mind and he feels bad about that in hindsight and in retrospect, but it's just, it's what makes him good at his job. Right. Like that, that was such a, such a real interaction that felt really really good and i wish we had more of that i definitely agree i think that also what adds to that is so for me i think that that is a very relatable perspective because both you and i behave like that <laughs> um and <laughs> to each other sometimes other friends like i was gonna say like 50 percent of our friend group is like that where it's we're, we're very confrontational on the front end we know that we're right about something and then like we'll reflect on it later and be like shit that was, I was a that dick. Was a bad call. <laughs> yeah, I was I was a dick, which is exactly how Chapman reacts. And so I I definitely got some solid moments, solid vibes from that vibes. Why the fuck did I say vibes? Anyway, solid it, it felt solid vibes, vibing on solid Chapman. vibes, solid vibes on Chapman, which which I thought was interesting, which also made the later revelation a lot better. And I think that's why I like that so much is that when it when it hits in in chapter four, when it's revealed that he's a rebel and everything else like and that he he actually is against everything that our primary POV is. I was like, oh, shit, the the I was I was expecting to like hop back into his perspective here at some point and we're not going to fuck. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think that he's against everything that she stands for. No, I think uh, I think it's interesting because he's conflicted. He's very conflicted in that it seems like he really enjoys truth seeking Mm -hmm. and 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 mystery solving. And despite there being a ministry of truth, he kind of seems to see through the through the bullshit of the government that he works for. So I, I think he he comes at it in a very morally righteous way in that. He is he is bringing people to justice that deserve it, but he's also not blindly following what he's what he's told in the uh, in the official statements of the government. No, it's uh, totally so it's it's like he treats his entire life and his morality as he's facing outwards, like everything is a puzzle box to be solved. And Chapman has the capability to solve them all. And so when he looks at the puzzle box of the murder, he can piece together the different pieces and components that would go into the murder. When he looks to the government and society, he can piece together the solution. And that's why he's a rebel is because he knows that in reality, the society for him, the empire for him is very negative. And so he understands and gets the solution. That's why he's on the side of the um, the rebels and it's as though he already has all of these puzzle boxes figured out before we even land in his perspective but that still makes a really interesting and compelling character because he is kind of a know-it-all but he appears to be right all the time so a, a know-it-all who's right all the time can come off as an <laughs> asshole if they don't also have other negative traits and he has 
negative traits that correspond where that he recognizes, which makes him good. Yeah. I mean, think about what we were just talking about him forgetting the names of the, uh, <laughs> of the officers and finally, or he, like, I think it's, I think it's technically Schlitz or Switz or, yeah. Uh, I don't remember. He's he is. It's even closer to shits. It's even closer to shits than that. But he uh, (laughs) he gets he finally like gives in past his ego and asks his name and uh, gets a response. And he's so proud of himself and so like astonished that that was the right move that he just didn't listen to what the name was (laughs) like he it's a flaw of his but it's i i know i've done that before i know i've like put my tail between my legs and asked asked somebody their name or whatever it might be mm-hmm. when i should know it and completely like got into an internal monologue about it and did not did not at all hear what was said you're in a group and you're hoping someone else says it so you're like you're just looking around and you're like oh god that was definitely so relatable inside of the story yeah okay so we haven't talked about shit dick about the plot but we have talked a lot about the characters um (laughs) which is good because i think it i think it sets the scene well so uh the as i mentioned the first scene with the crime scene is well described on the crime scene part but doesn't do enough i think to didn't do quite enough to grab my interest fully enough i bought it so i was going to finish it of course um this is just kind of my general criticism this is really my only serious critique in my head is really kind of the way this first chapter goes versus the way the rest of the book goes it is it does feel kind of distant but i i feel like again that's kind of a a function of getting to know Cled. Oh, all the all the death and gore was so well described. I was definitely horrified of the entire description of the child being hung over the <laughs> being hung up and then like having them fail to like cut it down and like not have something that could actually get through the chains and like that difficulty was mm-hmm. um was interesting and developed the scene well. So what what made me really kind of interested on a second on a second listen through what made me interested in what's actually going on here and what makes me question whether or not it was actually Lord Pruitt that did all of this is uh, the fact that the lady of the house's heart was like removed from her and was placed on the dresser. Yes. So, so that that tells me there's something more intelligent here than just animalistic rage. And it makes me wonder if it was say the anointed that came in, killed everybody. I think so with the people who died in their sleep, not with the others, or it was one of the other people that were within the, the um, boy that got hung up and like strung up that had to be the anointed and, and the, the heart on the table and, I can't remember the the girl. Were there two girls? I think there were two yes, girls. Two girls. They so, seemed they seemed more haphazard. There, there was the girl that jumped off the teenage girl who jumped off the balcony and broke both of her ankles when she landed. 
Yep. And then kind of like tried to shamble away and died there. And that to me felt the more most likely to be now that now that I'm reflecting back on this with the information that Lord Pruitt was in the basement. Oh, man, I still question whether or not it was Lord Pruitt that actually went back and did yeah, any I don't, of these. I, I'm, now that now that we're reflecting on this again. I don't think he actually killed any of them. I think, I think it was he, the anointed. Yeah, I think it was the anointed who then as a means of potentially drawing heat towards whatever's in the basement turned him into a monster that ha- would have the uh, capability of doing something like that. Yeah, that that makes sense because then it effectively creates a mirror between the two of them because they both have weird grotesque claws. Um, they don't yeah. need the same, obviously. But. Nobody, nobody would think, hey, we found this fucked up like monster in the basement that has claws and is ferocious and seems like just fucking crazy. I don't think they did it like that. That doesn't track. Like nobody would think that they didn't do it if they were there and seemed crazed, but it seemed more intelligent than that. So here's, here's a semi semi serious question that feeds into this. Have you, I'm not a big fan of anime. I've got maybe two really, that I really like. I, I think you and I have at least one of the same ones, which so I think we mentioned. Alchemist. Oh, we have two of the same ones. <laughs> is the best anime and maybe even one of the best stories ever written. So the two I like are Full Metal Alchemist and uh, Boondock Saints or the Boondocks. 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 You like, you like Boondocks. The Boondocks, yeah. Which I would consider Boondocks anime, is, I guess. Boondocks maybe, is pretty good. I haven't, I haven't actually... I haven't dug into it enough, um, which I think we've talked about before. I think we have I mean, talked about well, it. On we haven't the show on the before. podcast. I don't think at all. We did. Um, <laughs> we did. did. We? Uh, a couple episodes a ago. Episode. Really? Nope. I would just listen to it. I think it's episode nine of Morningstar. Oh my god! Okay. You brought it up. My, my bad. Did I? <laughs> yeah. However, what I wanted to talk about, Full Metal Alchemist, to me. A lot of these creatures, the entire setting, a lot of everything gives me those vibes. When I think about the investigations, when I think about the investigators, yeah. and when I think about the time frame, I totally, in my head, I was like, I am in Central City, <laughs> and um, I am I am there. And, well, yeah. not like a perfect clone, especially the, like, sort of claws that the Anointed has at the end, and the way that the beasts are kind of described – gives me the homunculus from full metal alchemist and envy i think it's envy maybe it's lust um from fma okay. like the stretchy hand needles thing anyway that that's all i could think about when i was reading it's it. been years since i've watched it so i don't know that's okay. i couldn't speak okay. to it that well but but those i mean as as mentioned the other one that i like is i like dragon ball z and dragon ball like oh okay the franchise yeah that's um, fair but um that might just be childhood fandom man as mentioned though post our our anime conversation um the deaths are brutal these are the moments i think where the fantasy is elicited but not fully shown because we don't actually see these things happen right we only get context that this even could be a fantasy murdering later much right. later it they approach it as though they they don't have an inclination that this is something non-human attacking mm-hmm. these people. Like they, they assume it's just a really fucking brutal murder of human on human action, which I think makes it more powerful. Because if they had a, if they had some sort of inclination that this was a monster of some kind, it would make 
it would make the scene a little bit less gruesome and a little bit less brutal if that makes sense yeah definitely but at the very least it would it would give it a, an overtone of like oh this is what we expect raptors to do so because we know yeah. that raptors do this yeah exactly approaching it as if they have no idea it's anything other than human undercuts the fantasy part of it if they know that these creatures exist or just makes the the introduction stronger for the sake of making it stronger which is fine too yeah there there are a lot of like questions raised posed world built i i think something that's interesting is we get no description of if if this is in fact a fantasy story we get no description of anything outside of the empire really it doesn't for feel that, like, that, like chicken town and so the the town where samuel's at at first um and coming back and like leaves his uh like student detective or investigator i'm curious at. about that too i don't necessarily believe it but you know that he left probably there? no i don't necessarily believe that that was actually the what happened it it, it felt like a kind of made up story but we'll never know because hmm. that bitch is dead yeah it, we we can talk a little bit more about the kid a little bit later i i guess like my my point being though you're entirely correct because they didn't pause it that it could be anything else we we don't get a picture that it could be anything but human until we go to the basement and we come to a realization that there's something that is more than human or less than human out there that is a mutation um, we don't figure out that it's a mutation until much later but we do understand that it is lord pruitt to some degree definitely seems like a demon which demon. they bring up nightmare and apparently apparently they exist or existed in the realm at one point yeah but it's um it's definitely it's well described again i don't think i don't think the weakness of this piece or any weakness of this piece is could could be described as his could be described his weakness is not description inside of this it's mm. also not fully like characterization as though we know who they are it's almost relatability and i hate that i hate the idea that a character needs to be relatable because not all characters are going to be relatable to everyone so but a character needs to be relatable if you're going to be seeing through their eyes yeah that's fairish i I guess or or to a certain extent they need they need something to ground you in them and uh yeah yep that's that's all i really have to say that's fair that's fair. So we also get a lot of fantasy world building here. We get the Empire. We get the Ministry of Faith. We later get like the Ministry of Defense. We get the investigators themselves. We get things like the fist a little bit later. Uh, I think it's we interesting. Get, we get God a little bit. The Almighty and God and the Anointed. The Anointed are also the cho- Chosen. The Chosen slash Anointed. Those are basically all of the fantasy elements mentioned. I'm I'm sure I'm missing one or two. There's the demons. They mentioned that demons yeah. have been like uh defeated from this realm for years, which that that conversation came across as oddly dismissive as well. Kind of like very quick. Yeah, but kind of like the I'm I'm rewatching Game of Thrones right now. So all of the people <laughs> giving like input that why like, hey, is the first question I have, but well I don't know the first the first I'm kidding I'm kidding the first handful of seasons are really good I'm rewatching it lay off it That's uh, the amount of people that get told and just dismiss the idea that white walkers are coming it's nonsensical like 
yes, they've been gone for a long time, but you've also known from history that they come back. So like maybe take it seriously when multiple people tell you that they're coming. But the way that the chief just kind of dismisses the idea that there's a demon in the area and this a demon's responsible for all of this reminded me of that sort of mindset of just dismiss it like they've been gone for a long time so it couldn't possibly be them even though they've got three officers telling him that that's what they saw mm, yeah like turns out no it wasn't a demon but maybe that was worth investigating a little bit as a chief of police i don't know well, and and the other possibility is is that whatever is going on within the Ministry of Defense with the sort of poison that turns people into demons or the drip or whatever it is, it's an injection. Maybe it right? was well, yes, yeah. But all that all that I'm saying is maybe that whatever they're injecting them with was in fact a pool that some prehistoric humans drank out of, and then they like reproduced forever or whatever, and were like a negative. We we just don't get enough of a picture of whatever the demons were to even infer what this demon is outside of a corrupted person and an experiment from the empire, which is evil. Of course it is the the perspective of the investigators that we have here realizing that the government that they support is evil, I think is maybe of is probably the strongest point of the entire novel. Like the, the end or even the moment inside of what we'll get there. We'll get there. Totally skipping ahead. (laughs) All right. It's it's man, it's just one of those things where it's hard to follow this linearly because it's a mystery and we unpack the mystery. We don't unpack the mist. Well, we do unpack the mystery linear linearly, but reflecting you kind of build the components. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you just mentioned sort of the description being plentiful. What did you get out of the description of who we later learned to be Lord Pruitt? I kind of. I took it as almost like a zombie that was a little bit bloated and kind of shredded a little bit, I guess, like a bloated demon zombie. I I got some impressions of, yes, it was definitely bloated, pustulant. They mentioned that it didn't have lips, so it just had rotting teeth facing out of its face right right very um very abomination for whatever reason based on the way that it behaved i also got kind of like the human vampire bat thing going on where it feels more agile than it should be right exactly and especially it kinda, after it gets shot bad vibes for some reason spewing shit yeah. for longer than Bile. it should be because right. because of pressure I think that's I think that's later on, right? The second time they encounter them, mm-hmm. where she just keeps shooting it. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's um, you know, Mister Mister Daniel Green, author guy, does uh, does action well. Okay, well, that's again we talked about this off air. That might be it. Might be a trouble between the audiobook and the physical book. The I think so. Physical book has a cadence and pacing that is actually more similar to blake crouch than you'd think in a way that it's very the the sentences are very short and intentionally so which that doesn't doesn't come off read well well in the audiobook audiobook. yeah Yeah. okay i I really enjoy the sort of like judge dread like (laughs) this is where this came from of course (laughs) permission that the officers are given even though they're like clearly this repressive entity inside of society they are also this like judge jury executioner and they, they have both this weird respect 
about them as well as other elements that i find interesting yeah judge dread obviously like i brought him i i channeled him at the beginning of the episode a little bit but i think it's a good call out here i think uh i think that is a good descriptor of what's going on but at the same time all i could think of in a lot of the description of the society itself and the police force and the government as a whole it felt very reminiscent of anthem by ayn rand a little bit brainwashy a little bit a little bit of like drips of going against the grain and rebelling and not not giving or not not believing everything that you're told um but for the most part everyone in this in society seems to be on board with the government knows what's right everything the government says is, is true the police have ultimate authority down the line like there there's a lot of examples of uh what okay towards the end of the book where or towards the middle i guess where um clid and chapman are in that market and in that bar and sam too and weapons are drawn and there, there's this perception of no matter what the person wearing the police uniform uniform are the are the ones that's right in the public opinion yeah the so, societal contract is very very heavily skewed towards the officers yeah so it, it's like obviously there's a resistance and obviously there are people working against the government but the way everything was described and the way that Clid seems to interact with her day-to-day life seemed very brainwashed in a, in a way. Yes. Yes. I, th- I think that Clid actually definitely is an example of a brainwasher. I want to kind of I want to roll back to some of the things that you said and kind of work through everything, because I think yeah. you did such a good job of describing so many things. Um, rolling back to Anthem and Ayn Rand, um, first off. Most of the Ryan Rand books, for the most part, are ideological, fine, meh, d- d- worth reading when you're 20. Um, Anthem, yeah. I think, is the only book that truly stands out as something that is worth it in the long run. The rest of them are interesting. Not interesting. They're poorly written. Um, but Anthem... But I, I think I think of the ideology is something to be considered in a lot of it. Yes, Um, yes. All that I'm really getting at is that Anthem actually stands out as a story and kind of the best. Yeah, it's easily the best thing that she ever wrote. That's fair. Totally fair. And it's 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 about this long (laughs) as well. Oh, it's very short. It's Um, very short. I have the audiobook of it. Um, You and I actually share my audiobooks.com account. I have it on there if you want to listen to it. It's like an hour, maybe. Yeah, it's it's very short but it's it in my head it's probably the only book that i would of ayn rand's that i'd like actively recommend to people to read for whatever reason anyway moving on you're right with the comparison to like anthem's sort of um dystopian society in the way that that kind of feels where everyone is really truly just kind of jogging along with the rule of the law as though it's unquestionable and then we we move into kind of what you were saying with the examples of the street vendor and samuel the whole like pulling the gun out of chapman's pocket oh speaking of the <laughs> the sort of truth above everything or the uh, government above everything kind of ideal when they're when they're talking to that street vendor uh before they go into that bar 
before they, since they're wearing civilian clothes, before they realize that, or before he realizes that they're inspectors, he says something offhanded about, I think it's smoking. He says something mm-hmm. like, I don't care what the Ministry of Health, Health says, smoking is good for you. Look and at my teeth. teeth. Yeah. And he smiles. And just saying that jokingly was apparently legal grounds for public beating. Right. Because it went against what what was officially said by the the Ministry of Health. Mm-hmm. Like, even though it was sarcastic and literally a joke punchlined by him showing his fucked up rotten teeth, presumably caused by a lifetime of smoking, him saying that smoking was good for you, even in that context, would have been grounds for literal public beating with no <laughs> repercussions. Like, yeah, that's a little fucked up, man. I More than a little fucked up. I think that's another example. It's, so we've talked about this before. This book world builds beautifully. Yeah. And this is another one of those moments where it's like that's a simple paragraph that lends itself to both the crazy cruelty of the society, how people still find joy in in humor and and then in turn might be repressed when they get the badge flashback at them. Right. Like, yeah, there's still those that are rebels, even if they're not, quote, with the rebels, they're, you know, casually micro aggressing against society or the empire. Yeah. I keep saying this society because we say that for Red Rising all the time. Right. I keep saying <laughs> it's it too. my brain. I do. Yeah. Um, and there, there's not there's not a super like cemented built in term. Well, in it, this, it is in the, this empire, but the empire, the empire, but generic, you know, it, but it it's, does. But so does okay. society, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. We just we haven't read enough to have it like ingrained. Yeah. That said, that sort of retaliation doesn't isn't strictly like relegated to the citizens or the the normal people of society. There's a point where a clid goes to the chief brings all the information on Chapman after after everything goes down with him, which I, I know we'll get to it, but this is relevant to the conversation, so I'm jumping ahead a little bit. He threatens to strip both her badge and her fucking citizenship if there's anything like untrue about her statement. So the police have the authority to strip citizenship of people. Which is fucking insane. Yeah, truly talk about like a totalitarian dystopia, like you've said before. It it gives, there are all these different lines, all these different moments that give breadth to this larger thing that I, I honestly like want just more of. Yeah. 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 It, it's... It's there's, outlandish, though. There's you're, nuggets. You're, there's little nuggets of, of this society that they're living in, of the dystopian world, and... I just want more, like more of it fleshed out. So I'm excited to see where that goes. But that doesn't have a whole lot to do with what's actually going on. Right. Story. Right. What's actually happening here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we've we've kind of talked about this. Chapman, obviously, after after Samuel is kind of uh, dismissed from the scene when the he steals the weapon from chapman and kind of indicts him he gets sort of embarrassed by his wife you know actually we should back up a second there we keep doing this going forward and then backing up we talked about this off air but the moment it's on page 48 for the book but when 
she says, I love you too. And with that, Clid left the last crime scene of her career. There are two of these different moments in the book, and they're they're fairly controversial in their own rights. Daniel himself has even talked about them a little bit. What did you think of those two different moments? The one is the I love you, and the one is they would never see each other again or something similar. Uh, they shared the last kiss that they'd ever yes, have. Yes, shared their last something, kiss. Yeah. What, whatever it was, something like that. Kissed each other for the last time. It felt a little ham-fisted and a little heavy-handed. I didn't like it. I I saw through all of it right away, and I'm like, all right, so she's dying before the end of the book. Like, yeah, it, I mean, it the, gave it, the it, question, it gave it away right away for me. It it puts it puts a clock on one of the two of them, right? No, but we know we know from who she is, she doesn't seem like the kind of person who would push away from the police force if her partner were to die. She seems like that, the kind of person that would stoically go about her job as a means of not thinking about it i think you actually finally pointed out the the piece of information that i was missing is the characterization here i was going to say this is a very common thing inside of a number of different you you can allude to a character dying like this and having it work Mm -hmm. you finally you you locked it in for me why people are upset or frustrated about this potentially you know it's it's a thing within within stephen king within clyde barker within a number of my favorite authors within michael crichton blake crouch even does it to a lesser extent not with the character dying but with other things there you can paint a moment like this but the moment also needs to be kind of in line with your characters or group of characters morality to make it such that it could be a, an option right it's not an option that she's not going to go to another crime scene she will continue to do this so long as she is able to right exactly but that's also why it's believable until the very end when she's actually dead i i think at the very least like when she dies you're like, what do you mean it's fun. believable well I, I actually i actually thought that it was it was okay and believable until like she goes she goes and meets with that cat with the captain it seems like she might get sent out she might survive to the next novella and then gets murdered at the end by the chosen right like yeah it kind of feels like she might make it out and that in fact it was all about samuel dying it turns out it was about both of them dying if she would have survived it would have been okay i think it still would have been great though i think i can see where that was coming or like i can see where you're going with that i didn't i didn't get that right i didn't feel that it it might have been too early to be earned yeah it was it felt it felt ham-fisted i don't know if i'm using that term properly in this context but whatever the applicable parallel to that would be it, it it wasn't subtle enough to to play off like it was intended to play off in my opinion yeah so comparatively though uh when chapman is revealed to be a traitor and a rebel i was truly shocked the depth of chapman is so interesting and that moment to me when they're in the bar i reread it right before the podcast i re-listened to it right before the podcast i doubled back on it a number of times might have been my favorite part uh yeah it was definitely up there in my favorite part until having a conversation with you right before we started recording i still wasn't convinced necessarily that he was truly a rebel and was considering and pondering on the idea that maybe he was a mole just kind of a uh an undercover agent so to speak but there's enough there's enough evidence against that that i think it's right to assume that he is more so just a a very moral person 
who is passionate about solving mysteries and solving crime and being the elite force in the law while also being discontent with the lies told to him through the through the empire he's kind of like neutral good right neutral good can you be neutral good lawful what's the so it'd be i feel like what there's good neutral and evil and then there's lawful neutral and chaotic so yeah good neutral good neutral good i guess though an argument could be made no yeah neutral good i think i think good just good would be his alignment yeah um i I think i think think he's not not true neutral he's generally serving the betterment of society fuck society uh the not the empire but people in general the yeah not the society capitalized but the society (laughs) that he lives in correct lowercase (laughs) <laughs> yes, be that through investigating murders and trying to solve those and, and working for, you know, the betterment of the society within the system, which is what he's doing as an investigator or as a rebel. Right. The other half of that, when he's a part or feeding information to the rebellion, it's because he believes that truly that will bring more good than what currently exists. But he also believes he's he's a weird combination of things. He's like, I'm going to exist within the law and outside the law because I am. Fuck you character chapman boy yep though as <laughs> as an inspector he's kind of outside the law to begin with so you know very true he's above the law in the first place which maybe also gives him mental permission to work with rebels so i feel like the rest of the book flows pretty quick from here um i feel like we've, we've we've talked a lot but but there is a lot of the rest of this boils down to incredible action scenes um great moments where you know clit is drugged and sat in a tub right which i i think is a great moment on chapman's part he runs off to the dock to go investigate to see if he can solve this problem on his own if he can't solve it on his own you know th- that there's backup coming the chief doubles up with backup um from the mod if they if the investigators that are sent can't solve it and the the seventh precinct can't figure it out the mod will show up um otherwise they're gonna have to figure out how to turn on the mod everything goes fucking south chapman's turned into a bloated zombie dude this is a general summary of everything we'll break down in a second here but that that's kind of the way most of the story goes until the very end yeah so there there is the point where clid mentions that for the first time in her recollection, the chief lies to officers about what's going on. Yeah. I, I think saying that these rebels may have Ministry of Truth uniforms. Is it truth? I thought it was MOD. Maybe, or, it, was, maybe it was truth. Maybe it's... I, I can't remember, and I can't look it up because it's audio. He mentions that the rebels may have one of the other ministries uniforms... As a means of potentially... It's M.O.D., according to the book. It is M.O.D.? Okay. Yeah, it's on page 92. Okay, good to know. Yeah. As a means of keeping this going, even if they they see other governmental like agencies, it, it keeps them going forward. There is that sort of double-edged sword of if they are actually M.O.D., which they are, then you're damning an entire precinct to... Uh, going to war with another government agency which when that agency is the mil- <laughs> the actual military i don't think they're gonna win but yeah you know. there's there's a chance that they're gonna lose and it's a it's a strong chance it's a strong chance and it, it's pretty gruesome the way it plays out 
I guess, I guess not necessarily until the end. It's a pretty, they actually handle it pretty well, don't they? Until the anointed shows up. Yeah. Yeah. They're doing okay until the anointed shows up and then everything goes so wrong. Just to maybe back up just a tiny bit. We encounter a woman who's injecting Chapman with shit, turning him into one of these these bloated zombie dudes, of course. Um, Rollins is around and covering Clid. Samuel is taking other investi- investigators and they're kind of flanking around and whatnot. And, you know, I'm so glad that Clid had the strength, the quick fortitude and quick wit to put down the woman in the red dress. I'm a little, a little bit both angry and not angry that she didn't shoot chapman i mean chapman ultimately saves her life because he's hanging on because he's nursing it like mother's milk as opposed to you know other people who just go insane right away which is why i think he is the the wherewithal or fortitude to not kill her and go for the anointed but still it seemed it seemed like a strange decision it seemed like a tough decision and for people that make tough decisions all the time it didn't quite feel right It, it felt like the wrong choice yeah for her yeah and that's that's okay like people can make bad choices like it's it's a they're allowed i do feel like it was the wrong choice though as as yeah. reflecting on this it's like i don't know you probably should have killed her like what are you doing do you have anything else on the warehouse not really it, it's it's a lot of action kind of in the peripheral yeah other than other than what we've mentioned explicitly like i said earlier i sped through the back half of this so quick the the front half had kind of a nice it really accelerates and then like it just took off in the audiobook it's like the last hour ish hour 20 ish just like absolutely launched itself which was fantastic Uh, and the rest of it was kind of like slow and building up like a you know stone rolling downhill and whatnot i was happy with how it ended and how like it all culminated what was What's interesting, we talked about this even with Pierce Brown, is it felt like the writing, again, got better as the story went on. Maybe some of that is just, A, we're, we're examining two first, first time, first publicated, publicated, publicated. first time, <laughs> Jesus, first time being published or uh, first time published authors, sort of the way that a book gets better over the course of that first story. And that's because you get more confident with the characters or the characters are more fleshed out. So you feel like you can use them. And you don't need to be so internal which I think finally happened at the end of this or nearer to the end of this. Yeah, it did. But at the same time, it felt like it was rushed to close, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I understand that. It it, it felt like the last quarter of the book contained more than half of the action of the book. Like, it, it felt like things moved so much more quickly. And uh, I was I missed so much more if I were to zone out for thirty seconds than I did at the beginning of the book, which I know I shouldn't be zoning out, but it's just kind of the nature of how the audiobook plays out a little bit, unfortunately. Yeah, it's hmm. agreed. It's of course it's hard to rewind, relive, and understand what that looks like on the page. So I I definitely it is that's true and that I I admit that's probably a well it's it's just a comparison. I mean. And that's valid. Uh, okay. So I, I think it's only fair to maybe talk about the ending here. You know, I, I really appreciated Clid stumbling out of the entire situation and making it away from the cho- chosen and all of that. I, I loved those moments. I loved kind of the, 
the sort of weird vocal timbre that I felt like the chosen had inside of those scenes, the anointed had also, I, I had the feeling when I was listening to it, I understand that they're one in the same, but also using them interchangeably was a little bit confusing chosen chosen and and the anointed and they may be separated in the future like the chosen chosen might be different than the anointed in some way but that wasn't clear yeah it that's true we we had some like off-air discussions on just titles and the fact that there are multiple for a lot of them like the fist we talked about the fist and there was some confusion on whether or not that was just the military as a whole or if it's and I think we determined it's kind of the elite. Uh, it's like the seals within within the navy. Well, but within, within the, the MOD military. instead. Yeah, the mili- yeah, the Ministry of Defense. So it, it's it's something that maybe it was a little bit too vague going into it, and maybe pulling too much specific information on the lore of the world without expanding on it a little bit more. And that it seems like a nitpicky thing, and it is something small, did muddy the waters a little bit in reading it. Yeah, I I totally agree, and obviously, like, I, I brought it up in the first place, but it did, it ultimately, there were moments like that that were a little bit confusing, and I think that what's really interesting when I think about the way that this book and the way that he's doing this is he's he's taking in a lot of reader feedback and it's a it's a very intentional process. It feels as though these first three novellas in the end will make one solid book from three different POVs. And that's intriguing. That's interesting. But I kind of feel like I wanted it all at once. I kind of feel like I needed it all at once. I am teased enough to go into the next book, but I'm also kind of sitting here with my hands on my hips being like, all right, too many, too much bullshit here that I want to know. <laughs> so. There- it's also the sort of foundation of the book, not foundation, the uh, format of the book being primarily first person through the eyes of Clid, but having those like not even chapters, but segments of chapters through the eyes of Chapman. I felt like there wasn't enough of that in order to make that the way it was written and formatted makes sense. You know? Yes. Like it felt, I, it felt half cocked in that, I am, in that sense very much in the middle of an edit in the novel the novel that i've written um where i am i added pov chapters later and i have to go back and re-add pov chapters to the beginning because i realized that they're important later and i needed them so now i have to reflesh out different things from different angles and it feels like this is too short to like demand putting in a torture chapter where chapman is sitting in the chair and it also kind of ruins the reveal of what happened to chapman but it also kind of feels like it, it there should be something else there with chapman for it to yeah. make sense to have the one third third person this is all third person not first person but it's third person limited so you're only seeing through the eyes via a narrator that's like a camera right so we're not in we are around clid's perspective but we aren't clid i think you should write your stories explicitly like exclusively in second person as a challenge as a note though apparently there are a couple of authors that do that very well i am not one of them i would never go you are walking down a hallway (laughs) (laughs) you turn left you see a chosen what do you do it's it's very uh, it's very slash choose your own adventure (laughs) It's a very choose your own adventure, which I hadn't considered that, but that's, yep. The book ends in 
such a fucking sad way. The last chapter, I was so excited. The second to last chapter, I was so excited for the Clid to get out and survive, and the captain for being this really good dude in the end. He was he was a good dude the whole time, but to to be this such this important element to the entire story. And then to get killed by the Chosen at the end and have all of the other dead folks in the office there, I was I was upset. I actually was really rooting for Clid to live. And the moment that the Chosen showed up, I was like, nope, this is Vader showing up to kill all the Padawans, isn't it? That's what this is. There's no way she's making it out again. Not quite, because they actually I mean, they're not children, but yeah, (sighs) they do wrongs. Okay, yeah, fine. Uh, there, there's reason why they're being hunted as opposed to just being children. <laughs> so there, there is a little bit of a difference there, but, um, okay, fine. I thought the most tragic part was the, I don't know if it's the same, if it's the chapter or the epilogue or what, but the actual end of the book with, oh, the, with the, uh, the calmness. Yeah. 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 That's also fair. Like, I just really want Clid to make it out. I ended up liking Clid in the end and some of the decisions. Oh, the yeah. characterization helped really well over the 130 pages. At the beginning, I was like, meh. And then as it went on, she became a great lens to live through. And yep, um, I agree with you. There. I wanted that lens to continue. And I was upset when uh, when it seems as though she's alive and going to be a zombie bloated thing in the future somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> she's not dead, but she's guaranteed to be in some other story as something bad yeah maybe maybe as like an easter egg yeah or a connecting thread yeah and the the final note that the actual book itself ends on with the columnist i think was some of the best writing inside of the entire story i agree it was fantastic his brother being the man that we met at the brothel with the erection (laughs) (laughs) hilarious astonishing Um, I think it was referred to as astonishing. An astonishing erection, which, you know what? There are those moments where you're like, are those moments? Am I (laughs) this way? (laughs) And you have no control over it, and you don't understand what's going on. He was in a brothel. Correct. So I think think that why why is it this way is a little bit. He chewed on some gas station horny goat weed. There you go. uh, There you go. God. (laughs) Anyway. uh yeah the the whole like telling telling him and sort of the it felt the the last epilogue felt very 1984 right at the last moment it just hit with very much like i'm being lied to i know i'm being lied to should i do the right thing or do i do the thing that keeps me alive and man that was that was well written it was poignant yeah what does it say something along the lines of he sat down and began wrote, writing lies yes Right. Yep. Which is, I think, the best line in the entire thing. I think so too. I that yep. was the strongest, the strongest paragraph, the strongest passage was that from that point of view. Within our final character's perspective, it was so good. It's worth pointing out too, PJ, in the text that the chosen's language is bolded. Is it? Yes. So it's given the extra layer of you know different Ragnar. Right. Well, not quite Ragnar. Ragnar should be bolded and capitalized, but. Yeah. Josh is the name of the columnist. Okay. Yeah. Josh. Yeah. That wraps it up for me for the most part. I think I've got just like maybe one or two residual questions, but do you have anything you want to talk about plot wise? Um, no, I think, uh, I think that mostly, I I think we hit every, uh, 
every beat that I wanted to hit. So I just want to kind of speculate on where you think the story goes. I see two. I see three plot threads that are sitting here right now. We know that there are going to be two novellas to kind of round out a trilogy of novellas that are effectively one book. I see the kid that was left with the farmers that was Samuel's aide. I see the the perspective of Josh. And then I see the thread that we talked about with Clid being turned into a demon. What do you think the next one does? Where, where do you Sim- think it starts? I think it. Oh, ooh, I think I'd like to see it start with the columnist just as a continuation of this story and kind of follow that path of the epilogue being the sort of introduction to and the through line for the next story that might be mostly disconnected, but anchors you into knowing that it's the same story. I I think that's a great idea. And I also think that that's where I would start with this part of me thinks because we we talked about this in kind of the preamble but this trilogy is meant to set the groundwork for a larger series so kind of knowing that in my head i see clit as an obvious through line i see josh who we talked about at the end the columnist as i think the second book that's where where i would start the second book daniel himself has talked about going from a pro empire perspective to a neutral to a negative perspective a rebel perspective throughout these three novellas so part of me wants to see whatever Josh does in the next novel. And then I think Clid pays off in the third novel somehow so um, as, you, as this negative th- force. But think I think she actually comes back. I don't, as a I character? don't think, no, I don't think Clid comes back as a character. I just think it becomes a tie in um, okay. to kind of round out the thing where like Clid started the story and Clid ends the story. But I do think secretly I have this thought that the kid that was left with the farmers, the the new investigator, is going to be the main character of the other series. And he's going to be kind of questioning things because of everything that he's seen go on with Sam and with Clid and with everyone else. And Or maybe he's the rebel perspective, he's the negative perspective. But I see him as the most obvious point at scream, ah, that's clearly the character we're going to be following for a long time. Yeah, that... I I think I can agree with you there, especially considering he or she is going to come home to their entire precinct dead and gone. I don't think they they come home. Well, I don't think they make it home because they're going to get get, this information. They'll get news of their entire precinct being slaughtered. Yeah. Regardless of if it's upon coming home or if they receive notice some other way, they're going to suddenly be a free agent, so to speak. And depending on how they get the information and what information they receive, it could kick off the perspective of a very interesting, unassociated character, rebel or empire. I think that'd be cool. Anything else? Any other thoughts on the on the story? Anything you want to see in the next book? Anything reflecting back? No, no. I Everything that I thought about it, I think I've I've covered. So I'm good to call it there. Well, fantastic. I think we did a really good job covering this. This is obviously our longest short pour, but it's also the most we've ever read and talked about, period, yeah. <laughs> in an episode. So fantastic. So with that, the rest of this week, this is coming out on a Monday. On Thursday, if you're listening to this on time, we've got our episode with Hellerpod as well as our Iron Gold intro where we're really just going to be talking through the summary and some other thoughts. It should be should be interesting, should be a good time. Both of those episodes will be available on Thursday. So that's what we have going on next week, quote, this week. That's, that's what we have to look forward to. So that's where we will leave you for the week. Um, please 
if you have been sharing us with anybody or if you have somebody that you think might like us please share just shoot shoot them a line with our information i think uh that would help us grow quite a bit if you are so inclined to review us on any social media or not social media don't review us on there just interact with us on there uh but on spotify or itunes or wherever um drop us some stars we'd like to see it social media at words whiskey pod and website words and whiskey dot show we have a lot of stuff on all there we've been starting to share memes more often which has been fun cross and i have been giggling about those before we share them so it's good to see any sort of feedback on that so with that i will see you on thursday 